Hello, I'm Patrick Chavis, and you're listening to LA Theater Bites Podcast, and I'm interviewing Shayna Rosenthal, director of Kill Shelter. I went and I saw Kill Shelter. I really liked it. It was one of my favorite shows of 2023. It was uh, very surprising. really liked the puppet work, kind of the, oh, what you guys did with the puppets and how you added voices. It was uh, really affected to be really kind of haunting. It, it really made you think about animal shelters and these kind of things. Current, this is a very current topical subject, and you guys covered it with such a interesting script. And so um, can you tell me, Kels, for people that didn't see Kel Shelter, uh, in your own words, what the show was about a little bit? Um, so the play is set in an animal shelter uh, in the Sacramento area. And the play follows this woman named Colleen. She's 34 years old. She works in this uh, kill shelter where they euthanize animals if they've been in the space for too long, if they are sick, if they if they deem them unadoptable, basically. And her daughter, she's a 17-year-old daughter that she had when she was her age. And her daughter is very morally opposed to this line of work. Um, and she has a lot of issues uh, with her mother trying, uh, with her mother choosing that that line of work, uh, what she views as a choice. The play deals a lot with the idea of choice, actually, um, because uh, the play starts with this interrogation of the shelter system and if there's uh, a better way of handling the treatment and care of these animals um, and, and ways to, to keep them alive. And, and it takes a turn midway through and it, it starts to deal with conversations of reproductive rights and bodily autonomy because Colleen's daughter gets pregnant. So it goes from being a, an issue of animal lives to an issue of the life of this unborn child and what she's going to do about that. So when you first, as, as the director, when you first uh, got this script, what was the, let's say like your first reading, what were your first thoughts? Sure. So I actually was introduced to the script about a year before it went into production at Theater of Note. I directed a reading of the play at Ensemble Studio Theater LA. Um, I'm a member there and we have a development festival called Winterfest um, where plays are read uh, for the first time. And Ashley Rose Wellman is the playwright of Kill, uh, Kill Shelter. We um, have known each other for a long time and have been looking for an opportunity to collaborate on something. And she sent me this script and I found it incredibly emotionally affecting. And I found like you were describing the puppet sequences. I found them to be really vivid and visceral. And I am actually a person who spent the majority of the pandemic fostering dogs. So I read the script and I initially went, I don't think this is for me. I think that uh, it would be too difficult for me to work on this subject matter because I have such a soft spot for the animals that are in this situation. But I just couldn't stop thinking about the script and what it had to say and how relevant I thought the conversation, both about animal lives and human lives, was especially, I mean, you know, as we were working on that play, you know, uh, we did that reading, the, like, uh, we did that reading in, I want to say maybe, well, we did that reading in, in, in the spring of, of 2023. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was before the dissolution of, of Roe versus Wade, and then the play just became even more relevant, and I became even more interested in, in seeing it produced. Now, now that you've gone through the whole thing, do you feel that because you had kind of a closest to the subject, it was, it was actually uh, something that helped you with the direction of this of this show, or do you feel like it was something that slowed you down in the process? I would say that it was an asset because 
it was very important to me to portray this world realistically and with uh, as much empathy as possible. Mm -hmm. um, actually, when we went to, when I found out that I was going to be directing the piece, the playwright Ashley Rose Woman and I um, actually went to uh, a kill shelter and we had to drive outside of Los Angeles um, to San Bernardino to visit a shelter. And we spoke to employees who worked there and we sort of explored the facilities. And it was really important to me to, to portray that subject authentically and with empathy. I think one of the things that the play does so beautifully is it looks why people, it looks at the reasons why people make the decisions that they make. And it, it looks at people who are, um, what is it? Someone, there was a review that I read that said that the play resists the easy categorization um, of its characters into, into villains. And I yeah. think that that is, there are so many preconceived notions that someone could have about someone who would work at a kill shelter and how they might be able to do that. And actually being able to, to speak to people about what the, the plight is of animals in the rescue system and how so many animals were adopted uh, during the pandemic when everyone was at home that were adopted and, and then returned for one reason or another and the influx of animals in the shelter system and how these rescues are overwhelmed with the amount of animals that they're trying to save and how these shelters um, you know, are doing the best that they can with the resources that they have. I think that having an understanding of that really allowed me to approach the play with empathy as a forethought. So as a director, when you're directing these actors to play these very unique characters and getting them in their skin, what, what's, are, you, are you more hands-on? Are you more hands-off? Uh, how, how are you directing your actors, well, specifically with this show? Uh, well, this show was, was certainly an interesting case because we double cast it. So we had two actors in every role. And something that I am especially proud of with this production is that I feel that every actor who inhabited the role really made it their own. Um, it was important to me that they understood why they were making the choices that they were making and they felt like they had some sort of ownership over the acting decisions that they were making and the, the creation of the character, even though someone else was also inhabiting and creating the same character. Um, so we definitely had some conversations, I call them character conferences about, um, about the character in theory, but one thing that was really important to me was that each of the actors feel the freedom to bring their identity, their age, their race, their personal backgrounds into the shaping of their characters. And so that was one of the great joys and also one of the great challenges of the process was making sure that these actors had the space to, to discover things for themselves that felt authentic to them. Yeah. And that the, and that, the uh, that, that both casts had that opportunity. With your experience after seeing both shows, um, did you feel or sense a difference between uh, the two casts as far as um, how the story was communicated, even though it's the same script? Absolutely. I think that uh, it, it's a bit of a cliche for double cast productions, but I, I truly did feel like it almost felt like watching a different play. Um, the actors were making very different choices, and they all still felt uh, organic and and motivated by the script and and in keeping with the the world that Ashley had created with her writing. But it felt like there were certainly um, big differences in the emotional inner lives of the characters that they were portraying, and even some differences in the, in the physicality. I, I like to say that the the blocking of the play was eighty five percent similar and. 15% different in meaningful ways because there were just some actors who felt strongly like I would definitely 
move towards this person on this line. And then their counterpart in the other cast was like, I would absolutely plant my feet to deliver that line and not move at all. And mm -hmm. so how do we sort of honor their physicality in a way that matches the emotional truth that they're, that they're giving in that moment. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would say it was a very different, it was, it was very different. Um, I think um, I mentioned, I mentioned race. I think one of the things yeah. that was interesting is we did talk a little bit about, you know, cultural differences in the way, um, in, in the way that uh, parenting is done. Um, you know, and, and one of the casts, the woman playing Colleen was, was a Mexican actress and the other cast, we had a black actress and mm -hmm. we talked during the process about their experiences growing up and, and, you know, their parents and how they would be, uh, sort of scolded as a kid or how, they, you know, they schooled, uh, one of them as a mother, how, how she's, how she, uh, addresses discipline with her kids and how can we bring those things culturally into the play in a way that feels authentic and organic for these actors so that their identities are a part of the character and not just a coincidence. Um, but also how do we bring their initial, um, how do we bring their, their acting instincts and their individual personalities into the role? So, you know, in some cases, one double would lean more into the humor of their character while the other double would lean more into the vulnerability. Um, and in some cases, you know, an actor would be much more kinetic and they would move a lot more um, when they were speaking while their double would uh, would be a little bit more subdued physically. Or, you know, some actors would play certain emotional moments with a different range of emotion than yeah. than their counterpart did. And, uh, and all of those things, I think, worked because they were very motivated, again, by the text and also by what they were receiving from their scene partners. But, but it did feel very different watching both shows. Did you learn anything new from directing this play? Any, any, any nuggets of wisdom that popped up after uh, putting this show on? Mm. I, I've, I've been saying a lot that uh, as a director, one of the things that I really learned uh, in, through the process of working on this show was how important hair and hairstyles can be for an actor. One of the mm. things about this play is that um, the ages of the characters is, is very important to the storytelling. And so Colleen, who works in this animal shelter, is 34. She has a 17-year-old daughter. Um, and her 17-year-old daughter has a 17-year-old boyfriend. Um, and then Colleen has an intern who works at the animal shelter with her who is 21 years old. And so we wanted to be very, uh, very particular, very specific about having this intern look older than the 17-year-old um, character, um, yeah. significantly younger than Colleen. And we wanted to make sure that Colleen, you know, looked like someone who was 34 years old, but also who had lived a life with a lot of work and stress and, and had been a single mother for a long time. And, and so, you know, maybe she didn't look um, like a like an especially manicured 34 or, or especially sprightly 34. She was someone who had who had really been aged by her life experiences. And so um, one of the things that I discovered was um, how much when we decided on what the actors' hairstyles were going to look like, how much that helped them lock into um, the age range. Um, you know, yeah. when, uh, you know, yeah, that was that was something that I thought was was really interesting, um, and something that I I think that as a director, I tend to leave for later in the process, but it really it shaped things so so much. You know, um, so one of the characters, Nolan. 
he spends most of the play wearing a suit. The 17-year-old, he, he spends most of the play wearing a suit. And so One of my favorite characters, this kid was hilarious. I, I don't know about the Nolan from the, from the blue cast, but the red cast Nolan was hilarious. I, you, guys picked a, you guys picked a really good actor for that one. He was funny and just... It was it was really it was really good. He's a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, the actor's name is uh, is Jack Clevenger, by the way. Um, and oh, yeah. he was fantastic. And and C J. Yeah. Craig and the other cast also fantastic. Yeah. Um. So this character spends most of the play wearing wearing a suit, and so yeah. very early in the process, we had said, okay, well, he should wear a suit during the rehearsal because a suit jacket really changes your posture. It really changes the way you present yourself. It changes your attitude. Sure. And uh, and so we did implement that very early in the rehearsal process. Uh, and I and I I think what I learned is is the hairstyles is something that maybe I, uh, is interesting to start thinking about early like that as as well. Um, yeah. And just because you mentioned uh, uh, being a Nolan fan, I do like uh, we had a, a quote wall from the from the rehearsal process, and I just loved there was one rehearsal um, where uh, where Jack, the actor that you were mentioning, yeah. Uh, was wearing a suit jacket, but we were rehearsing in in summer. We were in, like during the heat wave, so he was wearing shorts on on the bottom of his pants, and then uh, <laughs> uh, the yeah. suit jacket. And yeah. he just walked out of the dressing room and said, "I feel like I'm a magician for kids' birthday parties." And I was like, "Well, I don't know that that's quite <laughs> the vibe of this character, but we'll work with it for now." Um, <laughs> I think another huh. thing that I learned from the process of working on this play with the double cast is how important developing new works with multiple actors is. You know, the the script uh, at the time that it was greenlit for production was, was already a very strong script. But one of the things I love about working with Ashley Rose Wellman is that she's very committed to making uh, the production as, as great as it can be and, and really developing the script through the process based on things that are learned in the rehearsal room. And so we... Uh, so we did we did make changes to the script as we went and being able to hear these proposed new lines or these moments with two different actors was invaluable um, because they had such different interpretations of the role and such different portrayals that you could kind of see the spectrum of what this character could be in any given moment. And it really helped, I think, develop the script into a way that feels producible in any kind of community. Um, because we've seen that the lines work with different types of people and different types of emotional truths behind these lines. Puppetry is a, a big part of this show. And uh, have you had any experience working with puppets in shows? Or, or is this the first time for you? No, um, this was actually my first time working with puppets. And that was actually something that I was very daunted by. Um, I was very lucky um, to have an amazing puppet designer, Emery Royston, who we brought onto the production, who was assisted by Moira Rogers, and they developed wonderful puppets and also gave very generously of their time to work with the actors, um, because many of the actors were also first-time puppeteers, or at least they had a varied degree of puppeteering experience. And uh, yeah, I I was very grateful to have someone who had such a, a thorough grasp on the technical craft of puppetry, but also who really understood the emotional the emotional journey that we were on with the show. And, and so I was very reliant on Emery to kind of, to help shape the performances of the, of the animals with, the, with the puppets. And, and it was, it was really, that was one of the most special parts, I think of the rehearsal process to, to watch because the, the puppets um, that were used in the performance were, were, were fairly complicated. They took a little while to build 
Um, And so during the earlier stages of the rehearsal process, we were using mock-up puppets that were made out of cardboard. And it was emotionally affecting to watch the actors work with even those um, because their suspension of disbelief and their um, commitment to the moment was, was just so, so beautiful to watch. Um, as a director, uh, oh my gosh, how do you unpack all of all of that work? Um, is, is there a strategy? What, what's your, what do you do? Well, I think I was really lucky because I had collaborators who were really proactive and hands-on and really passionate about the play. I would say that that was one of the great gifts of working on this production is that everyone who... Uh, everyone who who joined us on the journey was just very committed to making it the best possible production that it could be and really generous with their time and very thoughtful and and very generous with their ideas. And so uh, I think that the the biggest strategy that I employed was was relying on was relying on these experts to do the thing that they were experts in. Yeah. Um, and and kind of just be a resource for them if they had questions or they they needed feedback. I work in a very uh, devised way when it comes to blocking. So mm-hmm. I don't generally pre-block a show before I get into rehearsals. I let the actors play around and we kind of see uh, what feels right or you know how things look. And you can imagine with two casts that that was a more extensive process than <laughs> than than I'm used to. Um, so there was a there was a lot of of that, and so I think yeah I think one of the one of the things that I had to do was one of the things that I had to to really make an effort to bring to the table was like it was decisiveness yeah um, and and okay like you've tried this and you've tried this and we've seen these different ways and there are pros and cons to both and at some point we have to sort of set one and and kind of at least use it as the working model for now so that we can bring this together. And I'll say another thing that was challenging about the play just yeah. ended up being the rehearsal schedule because it was important to me working with the two casts to give them an opportunity to work separately from each other so that they felt like they had a, a rehe- part of the rehearsal process where they could explore these characters and these roles without being watched by someone who was sharing the role um, and without getting their, that person's uh, you know, feedback, but also where they had time in the space where they were working together and they could collaborate and they could discuss and make decisions together that would serve the character. And, and of course, setting the blocking, you know, making sure because I devised the blocking that they had an opportunity to try what felt right to them without their scene partner there, but then eventually getting them both or without their double there. I mean, and then uh, getting them together in the room so that they could watch each other and discuss what they thought uh, what they thought worked best. And so it almost ended up being like, I would say directing the same play twice, but directing it three times really, because I would rehearse with the red cast and then I would rehearse with the blue cast and I would rehearse with both casts together. And I'm sure that there is a more efficient way of doing that. But I, I did find this way to be gratifying creatively. And I, and I hope that it was for the for the actors who were working on it as well. And and I'll also say this, I, I felt incredibly lucky that the actors who were doubling each other were so encouraging of each other and supportive of each other and collaborative with each other. And yeah. that's not always, uh, you know, the case in, in these situations, but 
they were they were incredibly supportive. And even once the show was open, they would come see each other's performances um, and cheer each other on. And and not only that, uh, I like to tell this story. One of the actors went to a performance of the other cast and then came up to me after the show and she was holding a notebook. And it yeah. was just all of the things that she had written down that she had noticed that her double was doing differently. And she just wanted <laughs> to know, like, oh, I see that she's doing this or like that she's found this thing since the show opened. And would you mind if I incorporated that thing into my performance as well? Or I know that she is doing this thing where I'm doing this different thing in that moment. And can you explain to me why it is that both things work? Because I want to make sure that my way is is still OK. And I thought that was just a really lovely level of of dedication um, and it's indicative again of like how committed these folks were to to telling the story. So the theater of notes space. I've been here quite a few times, and it's not the biggest space. It's it's a it's not crazy small. I've seen smaller theaters, but it it's it's intimate. And then the set design for Kill Shelter is even more scrunched, and you're taking up even uh, less space to the theater. So how what was challenging about dealing with the lack of space? I actually think that the intimacy of the space at Theater of Note was an asset to this production in particular. In the script, the way that the set is designed, is described, in the script, the way that the set is described is that the play takes place in an apartment and a shelter and an animal shelter, uh, and both should feel claustrophobic as fuck, is uh, the actual description in in the script. And so the intimacy of the space already kind of contributed to creating that vibe. I think that making the space feel even more cramped felt in service of the story. We had a wonderful set designer, uh, Colin Lawrence, and he he really understood something that I felt was very important, which was that I wanted it to feel like the shelter was sort of hanging over this family, whether they were inside of it or if they were at home, because it was such a big figure in their lives and their relationship to each other. And it was kind of this omnipresent thing. And so what we did was we created this sort of framing of the shelter. And then the scenes that took place in the apartment, uh, that space became even more cramped because there were uh, pieces of furniture from the shelter that converted into the apartment furniture, and that brought some of that action closer. I thought that that was an asset to the story as well, because I'm a big fan of really intimate spaces where you can really see the actors' faces and their expressions and their emotions. And I think that this story is, again, one about empathy. And so it only benefits us to be able to really see these people and how they are feeling in different moments and what almost the micro emotions that they're experiencing are. And so I thought that that was really great. And the other thing is that they are kind of in a space where they can't escape each other. I think, you know, um, Colleen, who ends up having this uh, romantic relationship with her intern, I think part of what happens is that they are inhabiting this very small space together while this very intense emotional thing is happening for her. And the proximity of sharing that space and also sharing the burden of the uh, um, like emotional trauma of having to put down these animals is part of what fosters that relationship. And I think that it, there's something about 
these characters not being able to uh, escape each other um, that that I think really adds to the the intensity and the build of the play. One of the things that I used to describe the play when I was sort of pitching my vision for it to Theater of Note is that I felt like the play should feel like a, a pressure cooker for Colleen. She's someone who's already been under such an a, immense amount of stress as a single parent and as someone who has this very emotionally draining job. Um, and then the events of the play, um, you know, whether it's her uh, daughter bringing home a boyfriend who is also very uh, morally opposed to the work that's being done in this kill shelter, um, to this intern who is kind of thrust upon her that she has to kind of take under her wing, um, to, you know, the discovery that her daughter is is pregnant. Um, all of these things just compile to like build and build on what is already such an intensely stressful situation. And I feel like creating a very contained space really helped facilitate that build. Uh, this concept of being trapped, it was it was uh, a brainchild of you and other people in the production. And um, who 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 were the main people that thought of this concept? It's it's really interesting. Well, our set designer Colin Lawrence was was a really big part of, of shaping how the physical space was going to be. Um, you know, I I had a really resonant conversation with him very early in the process where we had talked about a lot of the language that we had used early in the process of designing the play was was cages right like that the animals in the shelter are in cages but that colleen in her own way is is in a cage or feels like she's in a cage uh yeah. of the decisions like created by the decisions that she's made in her in her life and so we talked about that as sort of a, as picture as sort of imagery uh, a lot we talked about the cage imagery and then um colin said something that i thought was really really um like kind of just transformed the way that I was thinking about things. Um, and and he said, I, I don't know how I feel about, uh, you know, putting a woman in a cage uh, it, that really takes away, you know, a lot of her agency. I mean, these are my words, not his, but like, you know, it, it, it putting a woman in a cage, it takes away her agency. And, and what if we were backing her into a corner instead? What if the events of this play were making her feel like she was being backed into a corner and she didn't really have, a choice, which is which is the sort of evolution of Colleen. Colleen goes from a person uh, who doesn't feel like she has a lot of choices to someone who feels like the few choices that she does have are are slipping away from her. Um, you know, she thinks that her daughter is going to graduate and and maybe possibly leave the house, and then she's possibly going to get to have in her thirties um, the life that a lot of people get to have in their twenties. And then when her daughter uh, you know, when her daughter is, is 17 and pregnant, she starts to see that that future kind of slipping away. And so I think that the the imagery of her feeling backed into a corner um, is is really interesting because I think that gives her her room to push through it for her to like, uh, you know, for her to break out of that corner in a way that that uh, that she she does at the at the end of the show. I think I mean, I think the end of the show is is a hopeful one hopefully i hope that's what people took away from it that was certainly i think our intent was th there are a lot of moments in the show that are very you know dark and upsetting and and my my goal was certainly for people to leave with it with a sense of hope and and that these characters were going to you know be okay because they did have choices and they did have a future ahead of them that they didn't know what it was going to look like and that didn't have to necessarily be a negative thing is there anything about this show uh, that you feel maybe people misunderstood about the material or what, or that maybe you thought you wanted people to understand 
better about the material after uh, you've directed this whole thing? In paying attention to sort of the the critical reception of the show, the reception of the show was was very warm and and very positive, which we're very grateful for. And there were just a couple of voices that I think uh, had expressed that they were more interested in the story where the animals were concerned as opposed to the reproductive rights storyline. And I think that what I uh, that what my hope was that people would take away is that those storylines really are interconnected and and one of the same, and that the animals, the monologues that they're performing, mm-hmm. are are indicative of the inner lives of those characters, the, of the actors that are of the. Okay, so I should explain this convention. Um, so the there are three uh, animals that are puppeteered over the course of the play. And each of them is puppeteered by a different actor who plays one of the characters in the play. And in the moments before these animals are are euthanized, um, Colleen hears them basically giving a monologue about their story and what happened to them. And the monologue that the animal delivers is emotionally connected to the character that is puppeteering it. And so the way that we talked about it in the rehearsal process is that uh, for me, those moments are Colleen dissociating because she is being asked to do this really horrific thing over and over again. And the only way to get through it is, is to kind of go somewhere else or to connect to something else in her life or to, to, you know, enter this theatrical space where those moments take place in the play. And, and as such, you know, she's working out her feelings about these other characters in the play through these animals that she's interacting with. So, uh, you know, for instance, in the very first scene of the play, her daughter says, her daughter makes uh, sort of a sarcastic comment about, uh, about her father who had left them, who, who had abandoned them. And, and Colleen kind of clocks this comment, but doesn't really dive into it. And then the first animal that you see puppeteered is played by Colleen's daughter. And the monologue is 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 focused on this theme of he left me. And for the dog and the reality of the dog, it's why did my owner leave me? But the reason that Colleen is exploring this thought with this dog is because she's trying to get to the bottom of how does her daughter feel about growing up without a father? Does her daughter feel like her father left her? And is she enough as a single parent for her daughter? And each of the animal monologues is connected to Colleen's relationship with the character who's doing the puppeteering. And uh, for me, those stories are are very connected. Um, And I think that also, for me, the conversation about animal euthanasia in these shelters is in the play is so directly tied to the conversation about bodily autonomy and reproductive rights, because for Colleen's daughter at the beginning of the play and her boyfriend for that matter, it's a, it's a theoretical idea. They don't know the ins and outs of, of working at the shelter. They don't know the reasons logistically why the shelter is being run the way that it is. And it doesn't mean one of the things that the playwright said that I, uh, that really resonated with me is that, 
Nolan and Ellie are right to be upset that these shelters exist, um, but also the situation is more nuanced than they understand. And I think that both of those things, uh, you know, are are true. And that's what's uh, that's what I really appreciated about the writing of this play is that it really deals in in nuance. For Ellie and Nolan, the issue of of animal euthanasia at the beginning of the play is is kind of more of a theoretical one, whereas when they're dealing with the decision of whether or not they should. Um, they should have an abortion or if they should have this child, that conversation for them is much more real and much more present and much more personal to their lives. And so I think that those those two things are in such conversation with each other that uh, that it's hard to it's hard for me to extricate them from each other when when discussing the play. So I think that's a very long winded way of saying that I think that's something that I I hope that people took away from the play. Um, is is that conversation because even at the end of the play you know i think at the end of the play there's this really there's this really poignant scene where ellie comes to the animal shelter and and reconciles after uh, an argument with colleen and they connect over the fact that they, they they sort of are able to reconnect after colleen's reaction to finding out about ellie's pregnancy and they're able to to kind of start the process of of moving forward and and deciding how they're going to handle that situation. But also, Ellie is able to start seeing her mother in a different light when it comes to her work at the animal shelter. And she sees that her mother isn't necessarily this unfeeling monster who kills animals for a living, but that her mother is someone who really cares about these animals and and really cares about uh, treating them in a humane way and really feels. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, sympathy for these animals and, and, and is really emotionally affected by the work that she does. And, and I think that those two things kind of come together, that she's able to understand her mother in a, in a different way as a, as a real three-dimensional person, both when it comes to what she does for a living and when it comes to what she had to do to raise her as a single mom.